website today about finishing up this series, Kinks. Hopefully it's been a good challenge for you as it has for me, uh, looking at these areas in our lives that throttle us down or squeeze us off from being all that Jesus wants us to be. And as we wrap up this series today, this message today probably hits a large majority of people at some point or another, it's hit you. And maybe today you're this person who really struggles in this area. And to be quite frank, if we do, and if we let this become a struggle, we'd live lower and less than the potential that Christ created us to live at. And so this area today that we're addressing today has to do with our thinking. It's a matter of thinking. Just for an example here today, I'd like to ask you to to answer this question for me. As I pour this Gatorade into this cup, how many of you see the glass as half full? How many of you see it as half empty? In this room, not you won't admit it, will you? In this room today, there's some of you who constantly see a glass as half full and a glass as half empty. And you live your lives that way, wondering if it is or if it isn't. And based upon how you respond to this simple question will give me an opportunity and you an opportunity to see how you process thoughts and how you look at life and what you have a tendency to look at and look for. If you're a person who sees it as, as half full, then the majority of your time, you bug people who see it as half empty, crazy. I mean, you, just, you drive them nuts because you always find the good in something. You find something that's, that's potentially good that could happen. If you're a person who sees it as half full, you're constantly looking and finding stuff that's wrong or critical. Both positions, both mindsets are, are created by a choice as human beings. We determine how we think and what we will say. We determine what we'll let come into our, our minds and we have control over it. So, and it's also a pattern that can change. Some of you might have been a person who always saw the glass as half full, but now, or ha- half empty, now you see it as half full. So today we're gonna address that thinking kink because I believe the Bible tells us that in our words, we have the power of life and death. And so you have a potential to live this life that you speak life into someone or death and destruction into someone. So the question for you today is this, what are you going to do with the thoughts that you're hit with, the barrage of thoughts that come your way? Many of us find our security in in a variety of things. And often you can tell how secure a person is in Christ by the way they communicate and how they respond to circumstances. There's people who have studied the whole thought process and how we think and how we operate. And there was a doctor that said these words. Dr. Bruce Perry says, he was a neuropsychiatrist who specialized in the study of children who have experienced severe trauma, found noted atrophy in the brains of children who had witnessed violence over time. So these children who had witnessed violence over time, whether it was verbal, physical, whatever it was, as they continued to see it and witness it, their brains They found that there was atrophy taking place in their brains. However, he also discovered in treating these children that their brain function could be altered if they were provided an ounce of hope. If they knew there was a way out, if they knew that they could change this pattern and there was hope beyond this situation. His findings indicate that the influence of a teacher, a mentor, or a family member helped instill hope in a child, enabled them to see a future that where their role could be played out. These children were able to overcome the trauma in their lives from, and be able to set new goals and have a future filled with hope. This helps break the cycle of victim-turned-perpetrator that is so common in our prison systems today. So there, it is possible to break this train of thinking. The power of thoughts in the brain composition is also measured in adults, the doctor says. In a recent study, it was determined that the late onset depression, which emerges in people age 60 and over, is directly linked to repetitive negative thought patterns. Think about that. A lifetime of thinking negative thoughts. A lifetime of thinking, oh no, not me. Oh, that he's an idiot. Oh no, thank me. And just and continue this process of thinking negative thoughts and 60 people age 60 or over was linked to depression. The persons with higher scores of negative thinking had higher rates of depression. Older adults who brood over negative thoughts strongly increased their risk for clinical depression. The Bible tells us plain and clear in Proverbs 4.23. 
as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, the heart is the cavern. The mind is the cavern or the well that stores up thoughts. And the thoughts that are in this well, this deposit system, help us talk, help us think. And we respond based on what we've taken in. So the question is, what do we do with that? Can we change that pattern of allowing these thoughts that aren't positive, these thoughts that aren't true, these lies from Satan? Can we stop them? Is there a pattern that flushes those out so that we can see the world the way Christ wants us to see the world? Psychologists tell us how a person thinks and their mind determines what you will do and say. Now think about that. Today, you made decisions based upon what you were thinking. You got up and you looked in the mirror and you said, yeah, looking good. You got up and said, oh, not a good day. And so you've, you've, you responded to what you thought. And so two people can look at the same situation, put in the same environment, have the same test model that's there. They could have the same occurrences. Two people can walk in the room. One person can respond, will respond based upon the deposit of thoughts that's already in their memory banks and in their minds. And they respond in a negative way. Another person can walk in, same environment, same people, same situation and respond differently. It all comes back to what we allowed our minds to be filled up with. So you either see the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. Think about this from a parent perspective. Studies have also shown this, that children who come from a home where there was a negative, pessimistic, poor me mom or negative, pessimistic, poor me dad who constantly saw the the evil or constantly saw the bad in situation, who were constantly pointing out faults, these children were more prone to be produced, to produce the same kind of thoughts and patterns as that. So think about that. If you're looking for a good reason not to be a negative thinker, Think about your kids. Maybe that'll motivate you and say, man, after a constant barrage of, look at this, my, our life, you know, it, it just sucks all the time. And your kids hear that after 18 years of hearing that and getting bombarded with those thoughts, their minds are filled with that also. Some of you battle negative thoughts all the time. Thoughts that are critical, fearful, and there's nothing good about anything in your life. And by the way, those who constantly see the glass as half empty hate people who see it half full. You put those same people in a work environment, that guy drives me nuts. He always sees the positive. He always sees the good. Doesn't he see that that guy over there smells? I mean, it's just, you constantly find something in an environment that just poisons the community. And if you were honest right now, if you could think of someone in your work environment, your school environment, your recreational environment, put them on a sports team. You put a person as a negative personality, always sees, they just poison a team. So the question is, what do you do with all those thoughts? How do you stop that insanity of this cycle that continues to see the negative and stuff? Let me also say this. It is much easier being negative than it is being positive. You might say, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is right there. No, it isn't. <laughs> it is. It requires more faith to believe that God has everything under control and to believe that than to not have any faith to think that he doesn't. And so you respond based upon your faith and hope. And so I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. We're gonna address this matter of thinking today. I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. You need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. I'm not talking about positive thinking, the proponents are out there. I'm talking about biblical thinking that responds in such a way where you know God is in control and and you are okay with your life. Numbers chapter 13, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. And we're gonna look at, beginning and look at verses one through three. Numbers chapter 13, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. When you find that stand, we're gonna read these first three verses of this narrative in the Old Testament. Look at Numbers 13, verses one through three. Let's read this together. Numbers 13, one through three. Ready, read. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. 
All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now look back at verse two again. Let's read verse two again. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. You can have a seat. Okay, let's, let's pause and stop there a second and just think about that. He says, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am what to the Israelites? Giving, okay, right away. This land, these leaders knew, these 12 leaders who are listed here of the 12 tribes, they went out and they knew prior to going here, they were going to explore this land that God was going to what them? Give it to them. It was already promised. I'm giving it to you. They knew before they left, guess what? This is our land. I'm gonna put my house up on the cliff there. And so they could explore this land with the mindset of, hey, we're taking it tomorrow, baby. They knew before they left, promised victory. They knew before they left, it was theirs. And so before they left, it wasn't, well, I hope we can get this. God declared that he was giving it to them. And so they knew before they left, before they went to explore it. Let me begin by saying this about, it's a matter of thinking. You will find what you are looking for. No matter what you're doing, and no matter where you're going, no matter where you work, or no matter where you teach, or no matter where you recreate, or no matter what you do or who you're with, you will find what you are looking for. 12 individuals leave. They go to explore this land. They have a chance to find what they're looking for. I want you to look at verse 26 of chapter 13. They came back to Moses after they explored the land. Look at here, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. In other words, hey, there's fruit from the land. They gave Moses this account. Now imagine, you find what you're looking for. They gave this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are what? Powerful. And the cities are what? Fortified and very what? Large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Gigabites and the live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. In other words, there's big people there and there's, there's a lot of people there. And, and then Caleb silenced the people because there was this mumbling probably going on. And Caleb steps in and says, we should go up and take possession of the what? Land. For we can certainly do it. So report comes back, 10 people saying, they're big. They're really big. Wow, there's a bunch of them. And then the, and Caleb says, hey, wait a minute. Shh, quiet. No matter what they're saying, let's go take that land because we can certainly do it. Where did he get that from? Because before the same 12 left, God said, I am giving you this land. Read on, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread out on the Israelites a bad report. And the land they had explored, they said, the land we explored devours those living in. And the people we saw there, they're big, really big. We saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Annie came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. 12 people go, 10 come back. The majority report is, they're too big. There's too many. I'm running. And Caleb says, hey, let's go take the land. God promised it. Let's take it. How is it that 12 people, because we're going to see Joshua's report here in a second. How is it that 12 people can go visit the same place, same information, same, same view, walk the same path and come back and one says, we can't do it. No, one says, we can do it. It begins in the mind. And whatever you do with your minds and the thoughts that, that you allow to reside in your mind determine how you feel and how you respond. And Caleb says, we can certainly do this. Biblically correct thinking will challenge I stink, you stink, and life stinks completely every single time. Do you know people like that? Maybe you're that person. It's like, you're good for like two days and it's like Wednesday, you're done. I stink, you stink, and the whole world stinks. What is it? What is the change that takes place? How does that change take place? What do we do with that information? If we're supposed to be redeemed followers of Jesus Christ and the living God lives in us, we should be different than someone who doesn't know Christ. 
A lot of us just say our world is doom and gloom and followers of Jesus, the word of God says should be full of hope. Here's how some of that negative thinkers go. Here's how your thinking is processed. Thoughts and phrases like this. How come they always get all the breaks? I never get any breaks. Seems like everything they touch just turns to gold. How come I never get any breaks? How come I don't get that? Or I just can't do this. This is just too much. Or he doesn't really appreciate me. Then if he really appreciated me, he would do this for me. Or she doesn't really appreciate me. I can tell. If she really appreciated me, she would do this. And I'm not, I'm not even going to acknowledge the 94 things that, she, that he's already done. But this one thing, if he really loved me, he would have done this too. Or I know it's going to get worse, so why even try? Negative people with negative pessimistic thoughts. Or I've been here before and nothing's good going to happen. I just don't even try. Why even try? I mean, there's been 70 people who tried before and I was 69. You're not going to do any better than me. Hey, go home. Have you been around people like that? Every part of me just screams. And so the thought is kill, 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 kill. And I process it. No, no, no. (laughs) But have you ever been on part of a team? Have you ever played on a sports team that someone sees that they watch the opponents warming up? Wow, he's big. Wow, he can dunk. Wow, he can shoot a three. Wow, and I think we're going to defend him. We're going to stop him. Let's be the first team to stop him. You see You can get information based upon what you see and you find what you are looking for. At the center of negative, pessimistic people is a shallow view of God. Listen to me. At the center, at the core of negative, pessimistic people is a shallow view of their God. 10 leaders coming back with a report, we can't do it. By the way, they would... They wouldn't lead anything for me. (laughs) Think about it. Do you want to be led by someone who's pessimistic? You're saying, well, that's my workplace every day. (laughs) There he is. He always finds, I did 94 things. We got got the product done, everything done, and I'm excited thinking, yeah, bonus baby comes over. He said, you could have had 95. You read someone like that? Just can't find anything good in anything. And if God promises something in this case, how is it? that 10 came back and said, we can't do it, and two come back and say, we can. Numbers 23, 19, don't turn there, says this. God is not like people. He tells no lies. He is not like humans. He doesn't change his mind. When he says something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. People with toxic minds, poisonous minds, are fearful and rarely find contentment. You find someone who's pessimistic, you find someone who's negative, majority of the time, they're rarely content people. They wake up and say, oh, I don't like the way my body looks. Oh, I hate my hair. Oh, I can't stand my jeans. Oh, I need another pair of shoes. I hate my house. I wish it was bigger. Oh, I wish my TV was that 50-inch one that was on Target for $2.99. I should have stood in line, but I know people would beat me to it. I mean, it's just everything about them is pessimistic. I wish my kids were better at this. I wish my son could do that. I wish my daughter can do that. Oh, I can't believe that kid. He really thinks he's something. And so you have this constant barrage of words that come out that destroy. And in Philippians chapter four, turn there. Keep your finger in numbers and turn to Philippians chapter four. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter four. You find what you're looking for. Paul had a lot to say about our words and about our actions and about our thoughts. In Philippians chapter four, in verse 11, he says this. Paul says in verse 11 of Philippians chapter four, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. The reality is it is possible no matter what life throws at you because you have Jesus Christ that you can be in content in that situation. Toxic minds are also critical all the time. People who are pessimistic, people who have poisonous thoughts are critical all the time. I would never do that, they say. Can you believe these people? I don't like these people. I can't stand Pastor Jim when he talks about this. 
And so right away, these thoughts come through your mind. There are, or do you say, have you ever been around someone who everybody in the world besides them is an idiot? Have you ever, man, that's an, he's just an idiot. She's an idiot. And so <laughs> I know people like that. This marriage or a thought like this marriage will never last if it wasn't for me. It would never last if it wasn't for me. All those thoughts are self-centered. All those thoughts are view, a higher view of yourself than of others. And all those thoughts come from a shallow view of God. Pessimism and negative thoughts and, and people who don't think the way Christ wants them to think in a biblical way have a shallow view of God. You'll find what you're looking for in any situation. And some of you are constantly looking for the toxic stuff. And to be quite frank, you're not a very pleasant person. And some of you think that if I just tell people how horrible my world is and how horrible I have it, that I, people will just run to me and they'll feel poor, they'll feel bad for me. Let me tell you, when people hear you after a while and you're constantly throwing all those negative thoughts and it's poor me, people repel and run from you. It's not attractive to be a person who's always saying, poor me, look at me, life sucks, look at this, look at that. Listen to me, that will never attract, listen to me, girls, ladies, single girls, if you want to get into a relationship with a guy, pointing out all your faults and how, how weak and anemic and, and the areas in your life and, and hoping that because you, you have this view of yourself that some man's going to come running, he is going to f- run away from you. Same for men. Because everything you see has a negative view. And all you want to do is find faults in other people. You have become a joy stiller in the life in which Christ intended you to live with all kinds of freedom and joy. So how do you get there? How did you get there? Did you just wake up one day and say, well, the glass is half empty? Did you wake up one day and say, oh, the glass is half full? How do you get to a point where your life is constantly negative, where you constantly see the poor and you know it's, everything's going to turn to doom and gloom? How did you get there? I'll tell you how we get there. Years and years and years of filling your mind with the wrong stuff. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Turn back to Numbers chapter 14. Outside influences affect us the most. That's how we get there. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. Years and years and years of filling your, your mind with the wrong stuff, and it comes mostly from outside influences. Look at Numbers chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites did what? What did they do? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Now stop for a second. Why? Where? How did they get there? If only we had died in the desert in Egypt, it would have been better. Look, why is the Lord bringing us to land only to let us fall by the sword? Where did they get that information? Didn't they just say in 13 and verse 2 that the land is yours? Why are they believing a report that God had started by saying, the land is yours, go take it now? How did they get to a point where it says, why did the Lord bring us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? And then our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Pause for a second. Prior to this time, the Israelites were in Egypt. They were in slavery. They were in, they were in chains. They had masters that whipped them and says, you do this, you do that. And God took this Israelite group, his people out of Egypt, and they were out trying to get to the promised land. Now they're saying, oh, if we were only back in Egypt and could be slaves again, we'd be so much better off. And I want to think, didn't you hear the report of Caleb? It says, certainly we can do this. Didn't you hear that God said, you can take the land? Look what begins to happen here. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay, church, how did they get there? How did, in a couple days time, did they stand and look at this region and say, you know what? We need to take that land because God said it's ours. I'm going to climb. I'm going to put my condo right up on top there. Man, I'm going to put a, a, a diving board. And I'm going to jump down into the water. How did they go from that? Because 10 people came back and said, they're big. They're real big. They're really big. And there's lots of them. 10 people came back and they believed the lie. They took that outside influence And they heard these grumblers and they churned it in their minds and they mixed it up. And so they began to spit out what they had taken in. We can't do it. We're not big enough. God's not big enough. Outside influences affect us the most. 
Now think about this. I did this week again. This is the same group, by the way. Listen, this is the same group that watched the Red Sea get parted. When's the last time you've been to Myrtle Beach or Florida and saw the Atlantic Ocean and you said, hey, part, and you drove to the Caribbean? When's the last time? I mean, after you have seen that, wouldn't you think our God's pretty big? This is the same group that walked through the Red Sea with, with water walls on both sides and said, hey, there's a fish, there's a fish. Let me stick my finger in there, boom, the first aquarium. And they remembered it. This is the same group that only walked through the Red Sea but had quail and manna every day. Oh, I'm hungry, I'm gonna go out. There's quail. Here, here, Bob White, Bob White, Bob White, Bob White. There it was. This is a group that had wafers falling from the sky and every morning they would eat them and God provided it. And now they're saying, I don't know if God can, I don't know if God can beat these people from the Negev and the Hittites. And because they allowed an outside influence that said we can't do it and they didn't cut off the thought and it got in there and it churned up in their minds and they spit out negative. They spit out pessimistic view of God. I wanna scream every time I read this passage, by the way. Are you serious, Israelites? And I say, oh boy, do I know some people who are followers of Christ today who do the very same thing. Oh, if all we do is look back and we prayed for healing on this person and God healed him. We prayed for an answer and for this this financial problem. We prayed for a job. We prayed for this and we prayed for that and God answered, God answered. We prayed for this marriage and God answered and God answered. And then five months down the road, we're, oh, I need this. And we think, oh, God can never do that. And we forget what he's done. Same thing happens today. Same, we're still, we repeat this pattern. Why? It's because we must capture our thoughts. Philippians 2.14 tells us, do everything with everything without grumbling or complaining. Here's what that means, short and sweet. If you grumble and you complain, you sin. And when you sin, you put a separation between you and God. And you know what happens when there's a separation between you and God? You have a shallow view of God. And you know what happens? It clouds your thinking and your perspective and you start to think like Satan thinks. That's what happens. And so we've let all this stuff come in. We let all this junk come in. We're grumblers, complainers, negative, pessimists, and we can't see clearly because Satan has a hold of our minds and we wonder how come the world seems like it's, it's, it's doom and gloom. It's because we're not capturing our thoughts and replacing them with good thoughts. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Here's a picture of what it looks like when we allow outside influences to affect us whether it's people, whether it's uh, technology, whether it's people talking, whether it's work environments. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 26 says it this way. Here's what happens to us. Like a muddied spring or a what kind of well? Polluted well is a righteous man. Now listen, righteous man who gives way to the wicked who allows the influences of the wicked, their speaking, their action to become part of their DNA. And what happens, our minds, our thoughts are muddied and polluted and we speak from what we think. We feel the way we feel is a direct, direct correlation to how we think. And that's how people can say, oh man, I hate winter. It snows in the winter. I hate snow. Oh, I hate fall. I just wasn't wishing it was a spring. Oh, I hate spring. It rains all the time. Oh, I'm, oh, I just wish it was warm. Oh, I hate summer. It's so hot. Oh, I just hate dandelions. I mean, it just, it just, and we respond based upon what we're thinking. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three also tells us this about outside influences. Bad company corrupts good character. Listen to me on this today. More than what you wanna admit. You hang out with someone who is influencing you more than you're influencing them. Their DNA, their lifestyle rubs off on you. And if it's not good and you allow it, it'll corrupt your character. 
because the influence from the outside can influence you and you begin to allow this polluted, muddied worldview to get into your brain because you're not cutting it off. Now we're supposed to go and be light in a dark place and you know when you're able to stand up strongly and when you're able to, you go do it because that's what Christ wants us to do. But if you're in a spot where you know you're weak and that influence of that poor character's influencing you, get out. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says it this way. Listen, this is what it says. Paul says, test everything, hold on to good, avoid every kind of evil. Test everything, hold on to good, and avoid every kind of evil. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, and I'm going to explain something I think is critical in outside influences. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. This is important to this whole discussion regarding thinking and processing in our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, blow it up, get rid of it. And we take what? Captive every what? Thought. Okay, usually we stop there. Usually say, hey, take captive every thought. But look what it says following that. To make it what? Obedient to Christ. Let me try to demonstrate that for a second. Try to demonstrate what I, what I mean by that. Paul says, take every thought captive. Every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I'm gonna try to demonstrate this. Think of this here as a reservoir of our mind. Think about this container as thoughts. Think about these all as individual thoughts that you have allowed to go into your mind. So we'll begin by getting, putting some thoughts outside of here that haven't went into our mind yet. This is the picture here. This is our mind, and these are thoughts that we have left come into our mind. We've, we've left them in. We let them walk right in. And so here's the picture. Paul says, take captive every thought that comes. Here's a thought that comes. It says, hey, this is a thought that I received from my neighbor. Have to take it, test it to see if there's any good in it, to see if it holds up to truth in God's word. It says, take it, capture it, say, and then it says, make it open. You listen to me, boy. You listen to me. Listen. And if he doesn't want to listen, you get rid of him. Next thought comes. It's dangerous. Next thought comes. You're ready now, aren't you? They come. Next thought comes. Oh, I came over here. Is it good? Is it a test against God's word? I don't know. I better be ready. Get rid of it. Next thought comes. Put it up and test it against God's word. Is it there? Is it a good word? Should I put it in my mind? I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. He goes there. Next thought. There's no way that one's going in there. This is the picture. Every thought. He said that. She said that. Test it. Listen to me. Now you be a good boy. If he doesn't want to be a good boy, he's gone. You get the picture, it's just testing. Till finally you have this reservoir and you look over, these are all good boys. Way to listen. They've all listened to me. This is a good batch because you've tested every one, every thought, and you can cage them in. And you know what comes out of this? Thoughts that are godly and biblical. But you leave one little rascal in there. Oh, you leave one in there. Guess what happens? It poisons the whole group. Get him out. Because if you don't, what you take in is what comes out. Here's the problem. We get all, some of you are saying, whew, glad he's not throwing any more balls. <laughs> this is the picture of our minds. What are you letting in? Are you guarding it? Philippians 4, 7 says, guard your mind. It says, take every thought captive. Don't let them in. That shouldn't be in. Guard them. Once they're in good, keep them in there. Because out of here comes godly biblical instruction. Yet I'm afraid we don't keep it captive. We don't take every thought. Oh, it's all right. Oh, it doesn't even bother me anymore. I've heard it so many times. That thought doesn't even bother me. Oh, yeah, it's just, that's just him. And He's going to say this and he's going to say that. And so we let all these influence. Oh, 
It doesn't even bother me more. And you know what happens? It gets thrown into the memory bank, into the mind. And out of the mind comes these decisions and these thoughts that, oh, poor me. The world's all doom and gloom. Oh, God can never do that. Listen to me. We need to take back our minds and grab those thoughts. And we can change the pattern of our lives. If you are a pessimist, it could change today. But you've got to make the choice. What are some of the things we need to ask ourselves? Here's the problem. Maybe we've become desensitized to evil. Or maybe our conscience have been seared from not taking so much critical thoughts and all that's in there. It's so polluted that we can't even think clearly because we haven't been taking our thoughts captive and making them obedient. Listen to me, thought. You're never getting in here. Ask yourself these questions. How are you guarding your mind? What kind of job are you doing? Are you letting stuff in, husbands, as you're the gatekeeper of your family? Are you letting stuff come in from the outside into your TV, into your magazines, into your community, into your home and your kids and who they play with? Are you guarding and protecting the outside influences so that their minds aren't corrupted? Or maybe you drifted because you've, you've ran from legalism like I have because I grew up in legalism. I went to a legalistic church that said, don't do this and don't do that and don't do it with them over there. And if you do, you're a donor. I mean, I live with that, so that's not freedom. But maybe some of us are abusing our Christian liberties and, and, we, and, and we're drifting and, and, and we're moving from what's truth because of the freedom we have. We gotta guard our outside influences that affect our thinking. Just think about this for a second. How many of you are even bothered by the F-bomb anymore? How many of you go watch a movie and it's like, Oh, it's just the F-bomb. I've heard it so many times. It doesn't do anything to me. Ooh, maybe, maybe. You've become desensitized to the F-bomb. Or how many of you hear the Lord's name in vain in the movie and just after a while, well, that's just them. They're supposed to talk that way and it does nothing to you. That's our God's name. Name of all names. And people use it as, an, as a curse word. And if it doesn't do anything for you, maybe you better ask the question, maybe I need to go back and do some renewing of my mind. How many of you are bothered by sexual innuendos anymore when the word God says, void godless chatter? Let me give you an example. About two months ago, Gota, who lived with us for years, an exchange student from Norway, one of our desires when he was here today, he come to know Christ. He didn't come to know Christ while we were here. And it's still, it's, it's tender to our hearts because he was like a son to us. We're still praying for him and there's hope. And he lived with us and obviously became really close. And he came back to visit us a couple months ago. He wanted to spend three weeks with us and it was great. And he hung out with some friends. And so Josh and I and Goto wanted to go see a movie because it was referred to us by someone. So it's a good movie. It was rated PG. And so we walk in the movie theater. I think I want to hang out with Goten and Josh. Just some fun time hanging out with him that doesn't require a whole bunch of critical thinking. And just, so we walk into this movie theater. It's a PG movie. First scene, sexual innuendo. It's like, oh, great. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm the gatekeeper of the family. I'm sitting there with my son who's, who's a Christ follower. And I'm sitting there with a son that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And I'm trying to get his heart to be soft to things of God. And I'm sitting there thinking, I just spent $25 for these boys to me. And the section window went on and it's like, well, maybe that was just the first. If it, hopefully it gets better. Next scene comes in, curse word comes up on the scene, it was the F-bomb. I started to sweat sitting in the movie theater. That's what happened to me, I really did. It's just, do you, by the way, sweat when that happens? I began to sweat and realize I don't belong here. And so I'm, I'm rationalizing all these thoughts. One is, I know Josh is, this is killing him. And I'm thinking Gota, I don't want to influence Gota in a way that makes us look like that, that, that we're against anything of the world. And, and so I was, I was wrestling back and forth and I had to come back and I said, all right, I got to get out of here. So 
Six minutes into this $25 movie with popcorn, $35. I looked at Josh and I said, man, we gotta get out of here. He said, dad, I was thinking the same thing. We pop up, we exit out of this movie theater and I'm thinking, I hope no one from Grace see me coming out of this movie. And I walk out and walk outside and leave. Why? Because I took the name of Jesus Christ into that movie theater and I sat down and I'm a Christ follower. And every part of me was taking these thoughts and capturing them and saying, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. I don't need this stirring around in my brain and my thought. And we walked out. Let me ask you, have you become desensitized to, to just movies, period? Do you, as husbands and wives, do you watch movies and say, oh, it's just this one scene and it'll be okay? Do you let that stuff just kind of go and not even worry about it? Think, well, it's just this one scene. Or how about, how about this movie? Uh, by the way, you have Christian liberties. You can do whatever you want. And by God's grace, he gives us our own convictions. But for instance, how about the movie Unstoppable? Did, did, did you realize that this movie, I went to a pluggedin.com. Do you realize that movie, which... I've heard lots of good reports about. Do you realize that the F word is just unloaded in that movie? Do you even remember? Did not bother you? Do you realize that over a dozen times the word poop in another way said, did it bother you? Do you realize that, that 10 different times in this movie, the words donkey's butt was said in a different way? Do you realize in this movie that the Lord's name was used in vain over a dozen times? Did it bother you at all? Or have you let that one seed of that one thought get in there and it got stirred up and mixed in and, and that's becoming the filter for how you respond and it doesn't bother you anymore. How about TV? By the way, I watch TV. I go to the movies. I went to see Secretariat. That was a great movie. How about TV? Dude, ladies, do you just love Desperate Housewives? I can't wait to Sunday night, Desperate Housewives. Watch this woman sleep around with another man and watch, wow, I can't believe she's, oh, she's gonna sleep with them. And you just, you live in this fantasy world and you're not bothered by it? Or how about, are you Bachelorette and Bachelor fans? You like to watch that show? It's like, oh, I hope she chooses him. He rocks. Oh, look at his abs. Look at him. Let me tell you, they're not real people. You don't want that guy. He gets paid to be on the show and lift weights all day. He doesn't even have a job. And then, oh, boy, when they kiss, and oh, I'm sure, I know they slept together last night, but I'm still thinking, he's like, oh, you got to pick him. And our minds are like, we don't do anything with it. It's like we're not bothered by that, but we love watching it. Or, or I love reading romance novels, maybe, ladies. And you want to read those, it's like, Oh, my husband isn't so romantic. So I just read these books and, oh, and he is just unbelievable. <laughs> and you read these books about how he, he won her over and caressed her and brought her in and made love to her and she's happy and he's happy and the book ends. It doesn't tell you the rest of the story. You just let those thoughts come in. You say, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not bothered by it. I just let it go. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've lost your conscience and it's been seared. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, you drifted with these Christian liberties that we enjoy because there's freedom in Christ. And maybe, just maybe, that's why all this junk comes out of you. And maybe, just maybe, that's why you're such a negative, pessimistic, guilt-ridden person because you're not controlling the thoughts that Christ said, take captive and make obedient. Do you realize in third world's countries that where our kids that have been rescued in Cambodia and Thailand, there's these men that go and try to win these beautiful little girls over and they start like at five or six or seven and they, they see them out on the streets and, and they go and they give them a piece of candy and they just tap them on the head and say, oh, have a good day. And then they come back the next day and they give them another piece of candy and, and they start this process of getting to woo this little g- girl over and goes from candy to maybe a sandwich because the kid's hungry and, 
or maybe it's from a sandwich to he buys her a stuffed animal and, and he goes into the market and buys her a stuffed animal. She sees him coming and it's like, oh, here he comes. And she doesn't even know. And then he goes from tapping her on the back to caressing her hair. And he says, hey, take a walk with me down to the market. And, and he grabs a hold of her hand. It goes from a, a piece of candy to caressing her hair to holding her hand to raping her. It's called grooming. And all across our world, it's, it happens. It happens in our world. It's just slowly, slowly, a desensitization to, to what's right and what's wrong. And it just gets, well, do you think maybe Satan is grooming us? You think he's just kind of just, he's, we, we no longer, we see something and we hear something, we think, I'm not even bothered by that anymore. I've heard it enough, it doesn't bother me. Listen to me, it still should bother us when someone says Jesus' name in vain. And maybe, just maybe, we need to go back and, Get rid of a couple of these. Maybe we need to go back and clean it out. Let me give you an example. Your kid wants to go see a movie and, and you know that the movie has a scene in it because you heard. And your kid says, oh, it just, just has this one scene. I'll be okay, mom. I'll be okay, dad. It's like taking a good pumpkin pie. It's like taking a good pumpkin pie. This is a good pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin pie. It's like saying, giving this to your kid and saying, you know what? Here, it's really good, except when I made it, I put this one piece of rat poisoning in it. I put this one piece of rat poisoning in it and I mixed it in. Rest of it's pumpkin. Here, have a piece. Because all it takes is one little piece mixed in it, and it just becomes toxic. And that one little piece can destroy everything. And little by little, moment by moment, we let these things creep into our minds, and they stir in, and they mix up, and the Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient. Here, boy, here. This isn't good. If you're not going to behave, you're gone. Just because something doesn't bother you doesn't make it right, church. Maybe your mind is being groomed by Satan and you don't even realize it. The Bible says, test everything Hold on to what is good. Flee evil. Run from every appearance of evil so that our minds are pure. So how does that begin and continue? It begins by transforming the mind. Transformation begins in the mind. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Look what happens here. All this negativism on the campus here. Everyone wants to go back to Egypt. Everyone wants to, to go back to what they had before. And then in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 5, they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. It's so horrible, so bad, negative. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. They couldn't take it. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among these, those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and exposed, explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be what of them? Afraid. Church, listen to me. Negativism, pessimism uh, is a shallow view of God. And somehow we've let these thoughts think that our God isn't big enough. He promised victory the same way he does for us today. Yet we could walk through this life and not believe that based upon what we've let into our minds. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be deceived. Do not mock God. A man reaps what he sows. 
Let me just say this. Sometimes this isn't put in the, the context of words, but let me tell you, what you speak is what you plant and what you plant is what you grow. You go to environments and say, oh, I hate life. You are planting the seed of hate life. You think your life is not gonna be a hated life? Oh, I hate that person. I hate that ball. You think when you walk into an environment that you say, I can't stand them, that somehow that's gonna make your environment better? You plant it, you grow it. That's what you get. Listen to me. We have power with our words. We can walk into an environment and change it through us. The way we respond to negative things can change the whole environment. You see, move it to, I am the righteousness of God. I am redeemed, a follower of Jesus Christ. And with God, all things are possible. I am redeemed, justified, and sanctified. I am believing that God will walk me through this, even if it's the valley of the shadow of death, because he promises never to leave me nor forsake me. And we're doing it together. So what do we replace our minds with? Look at Philippians again, chapter four and verse eight. Paul gives us things to think on. Now, you're not going to get this from Rush Limbaugh. You're not going to get this from Imus. You're not going to get this from CNN News. And you're definitely not going to get this from Newsweek. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, Grace Community Church, whatever is what? True. Whatever is what? 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 If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. Listen to it. Maybe we need to go home and throw away some magazines. Maybe we better quit reading some blogs that are critical. Maybe we need to remove television programs that are infiltrating our minds and we don't even know it. Maybe we need to turn off public radio that spends three hours every day pointing out the faults of leaders. How can that ever be good if that's you're filling your mind with negative thoughts day in and day out and day in? It's like, oh, I just, I love what he says. Let me tell you, the more you love it, the more you grow it. Listen, you want to be a Christ follower that's making a difference and doesn't have a pessimistic negative view and sees the glass half full and is making an impact in the world? Listen to me. Take captive every thought. Don't let junk into your minds. And what comes from your minds is actions that glorify God. Maybe it's time for a total renovation of your mind. Maybe it's time for new patterns of living. Maybe it's time for new friends. Maybe it's time for new subscriptions. Maybe it's time for new TV viewing. Maybe it's time for just focusing on what is good, the word of God and spending time with life, with stories of life change and what Jesus has done in people's lives. Maybe it's time to spend more time thinking on noble, holy thoughts than what the TV is telling you. You have a choice. And the choice is this. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And when you do, what you see will change. God, help us today. God, help us to take control of our thoughts and our actions. God, I pray for, I pray for restoration. I pray for some rotor-rooter work done in our minds. I pray for some radical life changes so that we don't end our lives way below the redemptive potential that you created us to live. I pray that our life is is a signpost for Jesus Christ in every form and fashion. I pray that we'll remove all these kinks so that our lives bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.